Even Y Combinator, the most successful accelerator on the planet, has a 10% success rate. Less, actually, it's a little bit less than 10% success rate with these amazing startups. And I'm like, here's the most well-funded uh, startups on the planet that are going on there, and they're only succeeding at 10%. It's got to be a better way. And the better way, I think, is what if you go and build the audience, you learn those audiences' needs better than anyone else, you really, really understand that, and then create a loyal audience. And then once you create that loyal audience, you can pretty much sell them whatever you want. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Louder Than Words, where I have the great fortune to hang out with some of the most brilliant people in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, writing, basically anything you could think of. Uh, today is no exception. I have the great pleasure to hang with Joe Polizzi, founder of Content Marketing Institute, and he's also the author of Epic Content and Content Inc., Two books that if you haven't checked out, you're doing a disservice to yourself as well as the content strategy at your company. So do yourself a favor and go out and get those. And he's no doubt, no doubt, one of the premier voices and influencers on content marketing, period. Uh, he, they, uh, content Marketing Institute hosts Content Marketing World every single year, which is a, a big conference, gets all the biggest names in content marketing and really marketing, digital marketing, inbound marketing, every, everything you could think of together in one place out in Ohio. Joe, so I have to say first, congratulations, because you just wrapped up another successful Content Marketing World. And secondly, thanks so much for coming and hanging out on Louder Than Words, man. How's everything going? Oh, it's great, John. And let's let's set the expectations a little bit lower next time. Like uh, you, you you use brilliant and all. I mean, I, like hey, let, let's just let's bring down the expectations for the audience here. Yeah, so yeah. That we can, <laughs> let's get maybe you just get one or two things out of today's conversation. We're Say, not going to blow their minds, but hey, no, we'll, it's great. We'll, we'll save the, those for the Amazon reviews, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, the event was great. You know, it's amazing. It's it's still hard to believe that. An event five years ago that we started in Cleveland, Ohio, that I was honestly hoping for 100 to 150 people ended up getting 3,500 this year from 53 countries. I can't believe it. I'm still amazed. Every time I go out on stage and I saw all those people, I'm just like, I can't believe you all came to Cleveland to, to go to this thing. So it's, it's a very humbling experience. Well, Cleveland's a great city too. So, I mean, you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you big sports town. So, I mean, people have a lot to do when they come out there. You know, they do. I love, I mean, obviously, I'm the biggest Cleveland homer on the planet, but most, if you have not been to Cleveland, like when I go out and I travel the world and I'm talking to people and I say, hey, you know, we're headquartered, Content Marketing Institute is headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. They're like, Cleveland. And I, and I know right away when they start to question Cleveland, I say, you've never been there, have you? Yeah. Because if you've been there, you never question. They always say something great about, oh, it's amazing food scene or the Broadway shows that are there, unbelievable. Or um, or the sports teams like you did, or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, or the the park system that we have, or whatever the case is, they'll say something positive. But if they don't, it you know they haven't been there. You got I got I just have to say, look, whatever you heard, it doesn't matter. You got to come visit us, uh, and then I'll try to figure out what they like. And generally, you know, I'll run into somebody that wants to talk the food scene, and then I can really go into and say, oh my gosh, you got to come to Cleveland. It's unbelievable. <laughs> they'll say, oh, they like the sports scene. I say, oh, you got to come to Cleveland. It's unbelievable, or whatever the case is, and I'll try to sell them on it. Are you from? Are you from the area? I'm from Sandusky, Ohio, which is uh, known for two things. It's an hour west of Cleveland, 
Uh, so almost like a suburb of Cleveland, but it's known for two things. It's the roller coaster capital of the world, Cedar Point Amusement Park. I grew up about two blocks from the causeway headed into Cedar Point, and it is the place where Tommy Boy uh, if you've seen uh, Dommy Boy, it's Dommy Boy the movie. Say, I was hoping that's that it. wasn't going to be one of the Callahan two Auto. Callahan <laughs> say, that's where I Callahan Auto was, was located. Yeah, I wish there was a there is not a Callahan Auto. I wish there was in Sandusky, Ohio. But that's sort of Sandusky, Ohio's claim to fame is the Tommy Boy the movie with Chris Farley was. That's where they were supposedly located. Although I don't think they filmed anything in Sandusky. So there you go. Well, we're sitting here talking about it. So that I mean, good enough. Yeah, it's right? good enough. Good <laughs> enough, right? So before we get into all the stuff on content marketing and all that great stuff, tell us a little bit about you so you, you, do, you just told us where you're from but you know where are you from and, and how did you get into writing and content and, and marketing and all this fun stuff well I, to start with I always wanted to start my, I always had an entrepreneurial bug I, and I, I always wanted I had a little notebook with me at all times that I wrote down stupid ideas that I thought someday might work and I'm still a notepad fanatic like I love moleskins and I've got I've got like 10 on my office table right now just <laughs> just hanging out i've got them written in and i take one with me everywhere and i really believe that there's something about you know taking the pen to paper that that makes an impact over versus like doing it in a word doc or on evernote or something like that so i've always had that uh, that's something that i wanted to do went to college in liberal arts didn't know what i wanted to major in uh, then, you know, still didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. So I went to Penn State after Bowling Green and just continued on, majored in rhetoric, uh, communications, taught public speaking, still didn't know what I wanted to do, started to temp and luckily just fell into a job at uh, Penton Media. And Penton Media is the largest independent business to business publisher. And I landed in this little department called Penton Custom Media. And that sort of started my whole career in content marketing. And what we did at Penton Custom Media is they, you know, they were customers of ours and they spent lots of money on advertising, specifically print advertising for the most part in our magazines. And there were some of them that wanted to do things like do their own custom magazine or do their own custom newsletter or start webinar programs or do blog posts or whatever the case is. And they didn't know how to do it. And they worked with our little department and we helped them project manage that, write the whole thing, design it and everything. And that was my start into what is now content marketing. And it's just a crazy story. And bad, you know, bad times happened to Penton. The economy sank in, in 2001 uh, after the big uh, stock market crisis and the 9-11 happened. And, and then, you know, Penton went near bankruptcy. Uh, I went from eight people between myself and the CEO to reporting to the CEO in 18 months time period. So it's really unbelievable how that happened. So a lot of people lost their jobs. And I think they kept me around because I was making nothing. I was cheap labor at the time, so they just kept me along going. But I ended up taking over this department called Penton Custom Media, and then I used, and then I got into sales. And I'm like, how am I going to sell this thing called Custom Media? And I go and I'm talking to all these people, going into you know chief marketing officer's office and saying, hey, what are you doing in custom publishing? And they were already sleeping. Or I'd say, what are you doing in custom media? What are you doing in custom content? Because content marketing as a word didn't exist at the time. And finally, I'm just playing with terms. And I said, uh, are you doing any content marketing? Now, they didn't know what I was talking about, these chief marketing officers of these big you know, B2B companies. But I said content marketing, and that resonated with them enough to sit, you know, scooch up in their chair a little bit and listen to me and what I was talking about. And they said, yeah, we do content with our marketing. And it's sort of, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think we've got something. This content marketing thing that might be the way that I can start to at least start a conversation 
with some of these uh, chief marketing officers. And I always kept that in mind. And Penton wasn't really behind that term, but I thought you know, someday if I ever start my own business, maybe it'll be something around content marketing. Lo and behold, March 2007, left Penton Media, started uh, in April of 2007, what is now the Content Marketing Institute. My first blog post, April 26, 2007, was my Jerry Maguire mission statement post, <laughs> which was, why content marketing? And I put the flag in the ground, and I said, from here on out, we're calling it content marketing. I don't want, I don't care what anybody else says. And it, I can't believe it, John. It actually took. I mean, it actually, people, Brian Clark from Copy Blogger, a bunch of other leaders in the marketplace actually started to use content marketing. I remember we got, I got a really good quote from Seth Godin one day that he said content marketing is the only marketing left. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Let's use that everywhere. And people still use that today for that Seth said that. That was on an audio program that I asked a question on with David Meerman Scott. I can't believe that happened. But yeah, it's just interesting how things evolved and you know, Content Marketing Institute grew and grew, and, and here we are in 2015, and it, it seems like content marketing is a thing, and I'm just going around the world trying to teach as many people about the, the practice as possible because there's still a lot of people struggling with it. So tell us about Content Marketing Institute, because in your newest book, Content Inc., you, you sort of have this thesis that you build around um, that you should have something helpful to share um, prior to having something that you're trying to sell. And Content Marketing Institute is its its own best case study in that regard. So, you know, it's everybody knows CMI now, right? You guys have the conference. You're one of the biggest blogs in marketing, period. Uh, you're a huge personality. Uh, you know, the books, you wear orange all the time. You know, like <laughs> everybody knows Content Marketing Institute. But at the time, you know, back in 2007, like how did you guys get started? Like what, you know, you you really were about helping people and helping businesses so like just tell us about those early days. It was sort it was all a real fluke because it was a happy accident. And that's what we talk about in the book. A lot of these things were happy accidents, but we've actually looked at the model that worked for each of these startups and entrepreneurs that went into this. Basically the whole idea of building audience first and then launching a product or service on the back of that audience. And that's what we ended up doing at CMI because frankly, the the product that we wanted to launch, which was a matching product. It was called Junta 42. And uh, for whatever, we can get into a whole conversation later about why I named it that. But um, it was the, the eHarmony for content marketing. That was my whole concept was, oh, brands really need content marketing help. And agencies are out there. And they have that help to offer. And we'll match them up. And that's what the thought was. We would actually match them up. We would take a little cut. And we would be successful. Well, that model wasn't as successful. But what was successful the whole time uh, because the, that uh, program didn't get off the ground for about a year after I started blogging. I had to do something in the meantime. So I was doing speaking, consulting. I was starting to write my first book. And at the same time, I was building an audience. So I started to blog three times a week. I was building an audience. I was building the email list. And I'm like, oh, this is really working well. We're getting a good audience. And even though Junta42 didn't work out, by the time you know, we decided to launch Content Marketing Institute, really focus on education and training. We had a we had a really loyal audience of followers to the blog. It was really starting to work. We had a lot of influencers that were writing there. It took about over about a three year period, and then in 2011, then we launched all our you know revenue generating ideas, where it was Chief Content Officer Magazine or Content Marketing World Magazine or the two webinars we do a month, and we started to really grow. And we 2014 Inc named us the fastest growing business media company in North America. And it's just amazing that that happened first by really building in a loyal audience and then launching products. And 
I have a in my notebooks that we were talking about. I have, a, I have my goals written down. And I'm very particular about my goals, and one of my goals is I want to write a book every two years. So I wrote one in '09 and '11 and '13, and I said, okay, what am I going to write in 2015? I said I want to do the story of CMI. I want to do that, and then I'm like, well. That's going to be incredibly boring. Like, who's going to want to? Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about CMI. Like, I can't write a book about me. That's just terrible. That's non-content marketing uh, right there. So I said, well, maybe if we go out and we let's see if I can find a number of businesses that were did the same thing, like built an audience first and then monetized that second. And I couldn't believe it, John. Like dozens and dozens and dozens of examples as I was doing this research and I had really smart people helping me with this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Then we started to interview them. And then what's amazing is they all follow the same six steps, like different timetables, but they all did the same six steps, which is what we call the Content Inc. model now. And I'm just amazed that this is a thing. Like you could actually do this. And my hope is what took you know, Content Marketing Institute, you know, three, three and a half years to really find maybe if somebody gets this book and does this and, you know, finds out, you know, an informational niche where they can be the leading expert in and builds the base and harvests the audience and then diversifies and monetize and all the stuff we talk about with the model, they won't have to wait the three years like we do. They don't have to wait the 19 months like Brian Clark did. Uh, they won't have to wait, you know, the the 15 months like Matthew Patrick did from from Game Theory, who's a, who's a phenomenal success on YouTube. Maybe they can shorten that process to six to nine to 12 months or whatever and build a loyal audience over that time. So that's my hope for the book. And it's just, I'm still amazed that it actually happened. But I love that. I love the story. This is of the, you know, you know, you talked about the four books that I've written. This one is where I'm most passionate about because I really feel that instead of launching a business and creating an amazingly differentiated product like we all think we have, right? We're like, oh, our product is awesome or our service is awesome. Maybe that's a wrong way to do it because the failure rate is ungodly, even though, and we talk about, I talk about this in some of my speeches, even Y Combinator, the most successful accelerator on the planet, has a 10% success rate. Less, actually, it's a little bit less than 10% success rate with these amazing startups. And I'm like, here's the most well-funded uh, startups on the planet that are going on there, and they're only succeeding at 10%. It's got to be a better way. And the better way, I think, is what if you go and build the audience, you learn those audiences' needs better than anyone else, you really, really understand that, and then create a loyal audience. And then once you create that loyal audience, you could pretty much sell them whatever you want. And that's the idea. And it's a plug and play, too. You can use that in a large company, too. You can use it in, a, in an existing business. And we talk about that in the book. So that's why I'm passionate about it because. When I go to these VC conferences and these startup conferences and they all they come to me, I all I tell them, hey, I'm sorry. I think everyone's doing it wrong. I think there's a better way to do it. Build an audience first. <laughs> come back to me then and we'll figure out what product or service you should launch instead of launching something that's probably wrong, that probably doesn't have the mar- right market fit, and you're going to have to pivot anyway. So you didn't have anybody, obviously, at the time to tell you that this was the right thing to do. And surely, I mean, that's a tough way, right, to... Well, you know, in hindsight, it could be a tough way to launch a business because you don't have that proprietary or or differentiated product. Was there any growing pains? Was there any periods of time where you were like, oh, man, this is is this going to work? Did you have any of those moments with with CMI? Well, yeah, I mean, I have one particular moment. It's a crystal clear moment of failure in my life that I almost went back and said, oh, I got to go find a real job because this is horrible. It's not going to work. So this is in. So the only. 
So as we were building this audience, I did have this one little product on the side that this matching product that I thought was going to work. And we had our best case study and it was a multi-million dollar project that we gave to this one agency, but they hadn't re-upped the service. And I said, there must be some kind of mistake because we just delivered them a multi-million dollar deal. They're, of course, they're going to come back. It only cost $5,000. I said, what kind of ROI? They're, of course, going to come back. There must be some mistake. I called the CEO of the agency on the phone and I said, I'm not going to say the name, but I'm going to say, uh, you know, what's what's the problem? Can I help you? Can I get your credit card? Can I go ahead and do it? And she, she says, Joe, um, you know, we're not going to continue. I think we can get a better ROI somewhere else. She actually said that to me. And I'm like, really? Because if that's the case, you need to tell me what it is because I'm going to go do it. I'm going to quit my job right now, quit my this project right now. I'm going to go do that because I can't do any better for you than what we just did. So I got off the phone either because I'm a horrible salesperson or because the product didn't work or whatever. I remember walking into the backyard of my house and I'm like, Oh my God, I, you know, I have two small kids. I left my, you know, pretty good paying executive job with benefits and launched this business. It's a complete failure. We were bleeding cash at the time because I was putting it all into technology and like, oh, this is not going to work. I'm done. So I felt sorry for myself, John, for about two weeks and then actually started to look at, oh, maybe I should go back and get a job and go back to court, which is horrible because I was already broken. As entrepreneurs listening to this know, like once you're an entrepreneur, you, it's hard to go back because you, you, you like to do things your way and you don't want to go back and report to somebody else. And I was miserable. And then I realized that, oh my gosh, this whole time we've been building an audience, a pretty loyal audience. And they'd been I hadn't even been paying attention, but they'd been telling us all along, we need more training. We need more education. Joe, would you come in and do workshops? Joe, we need consulting. Everything was around training and education. And I said, oh my gosh, this whole time, I fell in love with that matching product that I thought was the greatest thing in the world. And I was totally not listening to what the marketplace needed, which was more training and education. And that was the moment where I said, okay, we're going to make this pivot and we're going to say, we are going to create the leading destination online for content marketing, education, and training. We're going to create the uh, the leading mag print magazine in the field for content marketing, and we're going to create the leading event uh, for content marketing, a conference. And that was in the fall of 2009. Content Marketing Institute was officially born in May of 2010. Magazine was January, and Content Marketing World the first year was September of 2011, and, and the rest is history. But yeah, that was a... You know, I can't say that I wish it didn't happen because if that failure moment didn't happen where I actually almost like went back and got a job with somebody else, Content Marketing Institute wouldn't have existed. Somebody else would have had that idea. Um, so I'm just, I'm sort of lucky I went through that. So sort of lucky the CEO told me to go shove it and, uh, and, and, it, and it helped the business model. But that's, you know, it's just, a, that's why I love the whole audience focus because if I wouldn't have been so enamored thinking my product was the best thing on the planet, I would have listened to that. And you, if, if you are selling something, you're really focused on selling a product or service to the audience, like immediately, you, you're not focused on the audience 100%. And that's why you just try to keep your eye on the audience's needs at all times. And you can be the real most responsive from a content standpoint. So, and I don't think there's many people that are more qualified to answer this question. A lot of what you were just saying is, is really hinged upon, you know, providing a ton of value, Right. Where are we at right now with content marketing? Because for every CMI, for every copy blogger, for every HubSpot, um, you know, and, the, and, and there's a ton of other companies that are are superbly helpful in their publishing. Um, there's 
50 companies that spend 25 minutes on a blog post and claim to to know the five secrets for saving for retirement or uh, for growing your business or whatever it is, um, are, are we all as consumers, as people, are we better off right now with the content marketing that's, that's out there or do we still have a ways to go? Oh, I love that question. So the, the, the short answer is, and I, I'll take this from, uh, we did a documentary called The Story of Content and Kirk Shavitz, who's founder of Story Worldwide says, you know, there's always been too much content. He says, people still today say they don't have time to read the Bible. And I love that quote because <laughs> we've always had too much content. It feels like more content than ever, but we've always had, ever since the days of the printing press, we've always had more content out there that we can actually engage in. So this is why it's all about cutting through. This is no different than it was 10 years ago. There's just more content out there, more different channels for us to communicate in and, and to gain uh, and access information. So the, the stuff that's really good will cut through the clutter. The stuff that's really focused, that's super valuable, will cut through the clutter. The ones that aren't are going to go out and they're going to die out there. So I think what's amazing is, is that content marketing is the most democratic thing on the planet because if you really work hard and you really have a content niche and a focus and you focus on distribution the right way and you have a plan of action, you don't need a huge, huge budget budget, and you can build a loyal audience over time. That's why I love the examples in the book because most of them started with hardly nothing to their names and were able to build these multi-million dollar properties. So yeah, where are we at from a content marketing industry standpoint? This is the amazing thing, and this is either really good or really scary, depending on which way you're coming from. We're just at the beginning. This yeah. thing is just this thing has just started. Like, if you look at the research that we put out with marketing profs, ninety percent of companies are doing some form of content marketing. These the effectiveness rate told to us by the twenty five hundred that filled out the survey is thirty percent. Those thirty percent are at least somewhat happy with their results with content. That's horrible. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're batting 300 for the Cleveland Indians, that's fantastic. You might be going the all-star game, which doesn't happen very often anyways, but anyways, <laughs> it, but if you're batting 300 and you're a chief marketing officer or marketing director, you're probably getting fired. I mean, this is terrible. We're, we're treating content like advertising. We are, we are not, uh, for the most part, the stories that businesses are telling are just like everyone else in their set. Like you talked about all these other blogs that are writing about content marketing and whatnot. There's nothing differentiated about it. Like if you're just starting a platform now, you have to tell a differentiated story. And we talk about this in the book is the content tilt. You have to find an area of little to no content competition where you actually have a chance to break through the clutter and build an audience. We were able to do that with content marketing because we were the only ones talking about that at the time in that way. You know, Marcus Sheridan from River Pools and Spas was able to do that with fiberglass pools because he was the only one talking about it in that way. Huffington Post broke through with their first model because they were the only ones talking about political issues in that way, the way they were talking about it. And I think everybody's now duplicating uh, stories over and over again, and you can't duplicate stories and cut through the clutter. It's just never going to happen. So what do you make of this? And, and, and I've, you know, from afar, uh, you know, there's sort of been this debate, you know, content marketing and inbound marketing. Are they the same? Are they different? Is content marketing, is that inbound marketing? Because essentially it's all hinged around content. You know, there's, there's been blog articles written. There's people that have spoken about it. And, and, and obviously you feel very strongly that content marketing makes up, you know, the focus 
of what brands should be, you know, focusing on from a digital footprint standpoint, right? Content, it's all content, social media, it's content, email, it's content. Um, how did this, uh, you know, where did this debate come from? And, 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 you know, what do you make of like the names that people try to give to just create great quality, shareable content? And, you know, that will help your business. So as long as people are doing the practice the right way, I don't care what they call it, right? It's almost all inside baseball. Like nobody really cares. It's just people like us that we like to talk about it. We think it's funny and interesting. Like I don't have any problem. I, I know the folks at HubSpot, you know, they've been focusing on the inbound marketing thing. Good, good people doing great things for the world. I don't have any problem with that. But when somebody comes to me and says inbound marketing and content marketing are the same thing, I got a problem with it. Well, why do you have a problem with it? Well, it's because content marketing is both inbound and outbound marketing. Like our print magazine, like when we're targeting a particular list of people, that's outward using outbound marketing techniques to do that. So when you say inbound marketing, content marketing are same, the inbound marketing can't be outbound marketing, right? So it's, it's the, my my issue is with inbound. It looks at just the top uh, portion. If you believe in the funnel, just the top portion of the funnel. Where if you look at content marketing, it's it's more holistic in my opinion. We're looking at the top of the funnel. We're looking all the way to conversion. We look at at the conversion. We look at post conversion, and then we look at evangelism through content as well. It's an hourglass. The way that we look at it, anything after the conversion has nothing to do with inbound marketing. But my point is is that that's where all the fun is. All the action is after the conversion. Because you're trying to keep a customer longer, you're trying to get them to buy more, do something different, whatever. And if you can turn them into evangelists, wow, that's free marketing for you. That's fantastic. That's what we want. Now, inbound marketing, according to the definition, if you look at Wikipedia or in the book Inbound Marketing or whatever, it's about creating really good content and then attracting people to pull them into your site to have them do something which is fine, which, of course, then all there's parts of content marketing, inbound marketing overlap, but that's just one very small part. My take is, look at any really successful company on there. There's not one company that I know of that just does inbound marketing. They say they do, but they still make outbound calls. They still look at these certain, oh, now I'm going to call them, or I'm, I've got a certain list that I'm going to call, or I'm going to send a direct mail out to this one, or I'm going to buy this list and go out and get that. You still do all those activities. You still do traditional PR. So the way that I would say it, I mean, I'm not going to get into a big fight about it, but of course I get passionate about it, is look at any company that says all you need is inbound marketing and just look at what they do. I guarantee you, you will find things that aren't considered inbound, but they're considered outbound. Now, that definition of inbound, a lot of people on the other side of the house have changed that. They broadened that definition, which is fine. It doesn't really matter. But my take is, is that there's not one way to do this. You really need to look at the whole marketing arsenal that you have. Of course, you want to provide value. You want to provide customer experiences that revolve outside of the products and services you sell. That's sort of the essence of content marketing is how do I create value for my audience and my customers outside of what I sell? Like I'm not pitching products, talking about my project at all times. Sometimes that means focusing on the data we have and targeting a person at, through like a print initiative or a direct marketing initiative that's super valuable to them that is not considered inbound marketing. I don't think that's a problem. And um, I'm going to stick with content marketing, at least for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I, th I think the term content marketing is safe. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's an, it, it, by the way, it's an enterprise term. Like, and, and this is what I found. Maybe you can correct me. But when I talk to a small, small business, smaller business, 
they more associate with inbound marketing. And if I'm, I can tell you this and I'm not lying one bit, John, when I get into the largest of enterprise companies and we're talking about marketing, I've never, ever heard the phrase inbound marketing ever. And we only work with like multi-billion dollar companies. So it's a, so they, they use content marketing and whereas a small, small business will use inbound. And I think that's maybe that's because of the fact that you've got HubSpot, a lot of other folks that just focus on for the most part SMBs. And maybe it's because we focus on enterprises. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But that's just been my experience. I want to go back to the content tilt too for a second because I, I love you know I love the whole idea behind I have Content Inc. Um, it, it's it, which is great for anybody who's in any position to publish content or put in any content on behalf of their company. Um, but a lot of people might see that or read it or hear you on this podcast and say, that's great, Joe, but I'm in a really crowded market. Like, how do I find my tilt? Like, I'm talking about the same product or service as all these other guys. Is this a problem that predates the content? Is this, well, maybe you're just in a bad space? Or, you know, is there ways to, like, how do you develop that tilt in a crowded marketplace? Well, I guess my my reaction back is, does this person not know how to tell a different story in a different way? I mean, I guess that's my, that's my issue. It's not a, again, just because we sell something, like, let's say, you're selling real estate that a billion people sell, right? Or you're selling stocks or you're a financial company and you sell something that's, that a billion people sell. Does that mean that you have to create content the way that they create it? I, I just actually was just on a podcast and we were talking about financial companies and you say, well, what do, what do financial companies need to do where, uh, you know, all the things like, Hey, how do I get a better mortgage? And, and, and how do I refinance my, my loan or whatever the case is, that's already been taken. And I'm like, yeah, uh, the low hanging fruit, fruit is gone there, right? You, you're not going to do the, like a Marcus Sheridan did anymore, where you know, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? Those days are over. But can you actually tell a differentiated story? Can you tell a story in a different way that's more valuable? You know what? It may not even be anything about your products and services. If I'm a real estate person, it may not be have anything to do with real estate. It may be something about the home. It may be something about curb appeal. It may be something about, you know, I'm maybe it's a video tutorial series on, you know, how to get the the most out of uh, whatever your kitchen experience doesn't. It depends on who you're targeting and what you want that target to do. So, I mean, I give so I'll give you another example because this is one that happened to me first right, uh, first uh, experience, and and I talk about this in the book a little bit. So there was a company in the pet supplies industry. There's a lot of people in the world that sell pet supplies, online, offline, retailers, right. This pet supplies uh, owner says, oh, we want to start a blog on pet supplies. I said, all right, um, good luck with that. But I can tell you right now, it's not going to be successful. I don't care how much passion you got. And they're like, what? I, just, I said, Joe, I thought you'd want us to do a pet supplies blog. I said, I don't even know if it's the right thing to do. We haven't gone through the strategy. But I'll tell you right off the bat that you're competing with about – I don't know, 5,000 other sites that have some kind of blog post on pet supplies. Plus, you're competing with two behemoths, Petco and PetSmart, that have billions of dollars and will squash you like a grape and you'll never cut through the clutter. And like, oh, that's not good. We thought that it'd be a good thing. We will build subscribers. I said, we got to remember is you've got people that are already engaging on other sites on that same kind of content. What makes your content so good? So we started to go through some of the other products and services they were offering and we realized that they actually had a little some some higher margin products around people that like to travel with their pets. And I said, that's interesting. 
So tell me more about that. So we were you know, kicking it around a little bit. And, there's a, and I even know this, John. There's a whole industry of people that like to travel with their dogs in recreational vehicles. Did you know that? I didn't, I didn't know this, by, <laughs> by the way. I did not know that. There's actually, yeah, we actually found out there's, there's a, a magazine called Dogs and RVs. Now, put that hat on for a little bit, right? So for anybody listening to this and think they can't come up with a, a different story, we're, there's two ways to do it. One is... Yes, we can target the same kind of people by telling a differentiated story, but we could go deeper into that audience. And the more specific and niche we go with that audience, the more specific and niche we can get with our story. So instead of just saying, I'm going to target pet supplies people, the people that have pets, well, that's really broad. Well, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's how about let's go into pet supplies, pet, uh, pet owners that have dogs. And then we're going to talk about, no, then we're going to talk about pet owners from, let's say, southern Florida that like to travel with their dogs in recreational vehicles. Now we've got an audience we could do something with. Now, nobody's targeting that audience right now. I can tell you right now, you can search for it. I bet you there's nobody targeting that specific audience right now (laughs) with a message. Absolutely not. See, now that's how specific we need to go. Now, if we don't think that, and that's how we're successful because you're going to be so relevant. If you focus on the wider audience, you're not going to be relevant at all. If you focus on multiple audiences, you're not, nobody's going to care about that. So I think if you get that specific, so there's two ways to do it. Get, tell a different story, which is absolutely possible, or focus on that audience that nobody else is targeting the way you're going to talk to them. And that's a huge opportunity that no one's doing right now. Those are great points. And, I, and I, next, I want to get I want to get a little personal as, as it relates to your process. So, um, in your day to day, whether it's content, whether it's writing blog posts, speaking, where do you extract inspiration from? I listen to your podcast. So. <laughs> that's, that's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the one that you want to put up in the promo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right there. Um, so this is this may sound strange, but. I'm a big believer in reading as many different kinds of books as possible. And that's where I find most of my inspiration. It's actually by reading non-business books. For whatever reason, it takes my brain away. I start thinking about different things. And I read lots. I mean, even for our podcast, This Old Marketing, I have to read a lot of articles that are going on, a lot of news articles, mostly about marketing. I read a lot of marketing books. I skim a lot of marketing books. But I have a goal, you know, every couple of weeks I'm reading a nonfiction or I'm, I'm reading a, um, a non-business related book and that really gives me inspiration and it's almost like it gets me to look at different things and that's where I, that's where I find that. I feel that if I just sit in this little uh, shell of content marketing all the time, I, I recycle con- too much content. I'm sort of doing the same thing all the time. It's when I read stuff that has nothing to do with content marketing is where I find my inspiration. So when I'm stuck, which you know everyone gets stuck, I've, I've got to do a, uh, I've got to do three blog, uh, three podcasts this day, or I got to write two articles or two blog posts, or I got to write another chapter of the book, and I'm really stuck. I will go and find a different book or a different story that has nothing to do. Uh, with with my industry or my career, I'm the same way too. What are what are some good ones that you've been reading lately? Some, oh uh, my 
Gosh, I am so excited about the Martian movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, have I've, you read the book? Uh, I read that. Yeah, I was in the Outer Banks over the summer, and I read it uh, on, sitting on the beach, I think, in one day. And, it, and that's not an easy book to get through in one day because it, it, he gets overly technical about all the equipment that, unless you're an astronaut, you probably have no idea what the hell he's talking about. But great book. Yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped for that movie. So, yeah, I just read that. I fell in love with it right away. And I fell in love with actually the process behind it. I didn't know. I mean, you you probably read the whole thing, but as he talks about in, in the acknowledgments or, or the after story where he says, you know, he basically, that was a blog and he's created, he, he was writing blog posts and he started to create an audience by doing these blogs. And then by the end of it, this audience said, Hey, um, we, we would like to get this in Kindle format. Can you put it in Kindle format? He said, Oh, sure. I'll put it in Kindle format. He put it up for like 99 cents or three ninety nine or something becomes an instant bestseller. And then he closed the book deal and the movie deal within two weeks of each other. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's a great story. I mean, that's, a, that's about building an audience first. He worked with his audience on, hey, I like this. I don't like this. Get more detail on this. And they actually worked it out with them. And, and, lo, and he has this amazing book. And now I, I hope the movie, and the movie's not going to live up to the book because I love the book. But if it's anything close to the book, I'm absolutely going to go crazy. So my, my son is reading The Martian right now. And uh, we're going to go see the, the movie when it comes out. So Yeah, my sister and I, are the same. she read the book. We both read the book. And uh, I don't know. They cast Matt Damon. So, that I mean, that's that was a step in the right direction. So, I mean, the, the trailers look good. I know you can't go by that. But, I mean, the trailers look like it, it might be promising in regards to the book. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. about. I, I like the Matt Damon role. I think this is a better role than what he was in, in Interstellar. So, I think this one's – I think he's going to oh, come absolutely. back this yeah. one. Because I didn't – of course, he was a – He was the bad guy. Was, he was the bad guy in Interstellar. Now he's the good guy. So, so. yeah, I, I think that things will end well uh, uh, and better for him in this one. There you go. No spoilers. Um, so, so describe you on your most productive days. What do those look like? Oh my gosh! I guess it depends on how you define most productive. I mean, you could say a day like today was was most productive. Now, if I go into my my calendar, which I'm looking at right now, I had let's see, one, two. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You are interview number eight today, my friend. <laughs> so I've been on the phone a lot. I've got, and then I've got a podcast, our, this old marketing podcast tonight. Now, from a productivity standpoint, the amount of value that your audience will get along with those seven other people that I did podcasts and articles for and whatever, that's tremendous. Now, I've got another one exactly. I've got the same day tomorrow <laughs> that I'm doing. I'll probably go a little bit crazy. Got a couple webcasts, interviews, whatnot. For me, what I like to do, what I think is the most productive is when I go and speak in front of somebody. I enjoy it. I, I love talking to people face-to-face -face instead of just, you know, and I love the tweets and I love the social media reactions that I get from the content and that's great. But when I get to meet people in person and talk to them about their challenges and get in front of them and crack jokes, I absolutely love that. So I guess it depends on what needs to be done and, and how that has to happen. I guess the, the funny thing was just about creating the book, um, Content Inc. I mean, that's a, I do the blog, as you know, if you're from reading the book, I do the blog to book strategy and I did blog to podcast to book strategy with Content Inc. where I had I knew what I wanted to write for the chapters. I'm writing the blog post. Those blog posts are going all over the place. They're going on Entrepreneur. They're going on CMI.com. Uh, they're going on LinkedIn. And then I'm podcasting those in the Content Inc. podcast. And that all that came together in what was the Content Inc. book. And it's just an interesting way to be a little bit more 
productive with one piece of content and think about it. And I just, I, I just plan for reuse. That's all I can say and the guidance I can give to anyone listening to this. You're not just writing a blog post. You're not just doing a book. You're not just doing a podcast. You can do multiple things, but you have to plan for it. You don't do it after the fact. Absolutely. And lastly here, we'd like to end on a, on a light note. Um, are you an iPhone guy, Android guy? What kind of phone do you use? I'm an iPhone person. So I think, I think we're at that point in our society because we're so plugged in that you could tell a lot by a person by what's on their home screen, like what apps they have on there. So tell us what apps you actually have on your home screen or which ones you use most often. Okay. So I'll, I'll actually bring it up here so I can. Uh, so I have my podcasts up there all the time. So I go in and I, I'm, a, I'm a podcast listener, not only my own podcast. I have, I'm a religious about ESPN. <laughs> ESPN, Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Uh, I go into ESPN Radio all the time. Endomondo is my app that I use for running, so so that's huge. And uh, and then I've, I have Twitter and Facebook on here as well. And uh, you know those are those are the main ones. I've got an exercise program that I do called Body Weight that I live by, and I love it because it does twenty to thirty minute segments. And I and you don't have you don't need weight equipment for that. So you can go in and you can use all. Uh, all on tensions and, and use furniture and the hotel rooms that I'm at and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know what you could. I've got my United Airlines app on here and Uber are my two most important ones. There you so go. You travel on the plane. And then once I get off the plane, I can find a car to pick me up. There you go. Okay. So I lied. One last question. Who's, okay. Who is somebody that you either professionally or in life have learned more from than anyone else? Hmm. We like to get deep here at the end of Louder Than Words. Oh, there's there's so many. I could I could name so many people uh, that have affected me that are real, real people that I knew. But I'm for whatever reason I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to give you those names. I'm going to give you, um, and I just dropped the name. Who uh, the author of Think and Grow Rich? Uh, it's been a long day. Um, Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill. Okay, so here here's. Here's one you probably never got before. So Napoleon Hill writes Think and Grow Rich. I think it's in 1937. It is one of the most uh, chauvinist books you'll read. So just for anybody listening to that, you got to be prepared. Everything's he and man and whatever. And that was the, the, the sign of the times. The advice I got in Think and Grow Rich was a complete game changer to me because it's really all about finding your attitude um, and finding out what it takes to be successful. And that's really what he goes through in Think and Grow Rich. And it's not a get-rich-quick thing at all. It's really about your mental state and what you need to do. And from Think and Grow Rich, I started writing down my goals and reviewing those goals every day. And if there's one thing that has changed my life for the positive, this is career-wise, personal-wise, whatever, it's writing down my goals in my journal and reviewing them every day. I cannot tell you what that has done for my life. And I tell everyone that that possibly will listen that it's a game changer if you consistently do it. And the reason why I'm telling you Napoleon Hill is because that's what got me to write down my goals. So I would say uh, Think and Grow Rich is the book by Napoleon Hill. There you go, people. Add that to your reading list and, and start writing down your goals. Yeah, anytime you can, you can make it real in ink. That's it. Make yeah. it real. Yeah. Uh, Joe, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming and hanging out. Um, learned a lot just from sitting here hanging out with you. Thanks a lot. John, anytime, my friend. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely. And for everyone else listening, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to share, subscribe, um, you know, all those good things. And be sure to tune in next time, too, because we're going to have more great guests. So long, everyone. Mm-hmm.